Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. I was just wondering about the stormwater devices that you have out there. Where where are they and, and how many are there? That's a really good question. Uh, in the 10 years, we would have sold about 15,000 catch pit inserts. So they're simple sieves that go underneath the drains that you see everywhere. Um, we've probably got, oh, I'd say 2,000 systems around Australia. Um, and we're just one manufacturer. So, um, you know, back in the early 90s, yeah, early or late um, 90s, so 1996 I think they started installing gross pollutant traps for the Olympics. We estimate there's probably 100,000 devices in Australia around the country, would mm. it be fair to say? Yeah. Whether they're mine or, or, or ours, sorry. Yeah. Um, and the majority of them don't get cleaned. Yeah, so often they just look like another manhole lid or another grate and people just out of sight, out of mind. Um, so they're probably just completely full and bypassing as we speak. And bear, bear in mind, we've got different technologies for different contaminants. So we've got our gross pollutant traps for anything above five mil. Um, we've got pit inserts, um, again, for gross pollutants. But then we've got filtration systems. You should come and check out our lab. I mean, it's nothing like <laughs> yours. Yeah, Katie um, was showing us around her lab before, and it's pretty amazing. Like, it's an amazing location right on the edge of Sydney Harbour. But you, we, t- we did a quick t- cook's tour of the uh, lab, and it's pretty cool. It yeah. is. I mean, it's pretty amazing. But I, I guess what I'm getting to, we... We really are trying to find new ways to be more efficient uh, using different types of media. So we concentrate, I guess, on um, nitrogen and phosphorus here, but really we should be concentrating also on heavy metals. And that, I mean, I, I yeah, know what you're going to say, yeah. if you get nitrogen and phosphorus, then you get heavy metals. But, yeah. um, you know, more emphasis has got to be on it. I mean... Yeah, to an extent. I think I think, I think think the big thing is if you remove... We, we focus all also on total suspended solids or yeah. dirt in layman's terms. And, and often heavy metals are attached to dirt. So if you can remove the dirt, you pr- pretty much go a long way towards removing those heavy metals. So whilst our products might not have... A, or whilst stormwater management targets might not actually require any removal of heavy metals by by association of the fact that we have removal targets for total suspended solids and nutrients, we go a long way to reducing heavy metal contamination in our waterways. Question for you. Um, what's your current, what are your projects that you're working on at the moment? 
Um, so right now we're looking at how we can actually bioremediate sediments that are really heavily yeah. contaminated with, with stormwater pollution. So dumb that down to the listeners, bioremediate. This is really interesting. Yeah, yeah so, so often the way that we manage polluted sediments is just to go and dredge them and then to chuck in a whole lot of clean sand on top, which doesn't necessarily bring back the animals that were living there previously. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is transplant some of the little crabs, crustaceans that they, they like to burrow. And mm. when they burrow, they oxygenate the sediment and that really helps um, remediate it. So we're trying to bring back some of those marine critters okay. so they can start so burrowing and oxygenating and, and cleaning things So up. how do you bring them back? We actually go and source them. So we work with aquaculture facilities uh, or we go and find them in, in other estuaries where they're really abundant and just bring in some source populations here that can then start reproducing and, and, and spreading by themselves. Go so little fellas. It's like creating a new colony. Like you basically take, you could, if you had say like an island that didn't have any koala bears on there, you'd basically get some koalas from somewhere else and bring them along and wish them all the best. Is that how it Exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it's fairly conceptual at the moment. It's not being done on large scales, but we think that it has the potential to be done on, on larger do you, scales. Do you, well, can you track them or you just track the results of the sediment once you test it? We can mark them and we can track them, but so we'll also like be testing little, the sediment. little Nemo down there, little crab, you'd be like, go oh, buddy, and then see you back in a year's time. Yeah, we can put traces in them. So if what? we go and sample later on, we'll be able to see if it was our original. So what sort of burrows are we talking about? So what's it? Uh, crabs, snails, So little shrimp actually shrimps, are really yeah. great. They love to burrow and they're always cleaning out their burrows. So they do a really good job of oxygenating things. Um, uh, Anadara, which is a clam, that does a really good job. It's quite large. So when it moves through the sediment, it, it creates a really big burrow and that helps to, to oxidate a lot. And then there's a lot of different uh, polychaete worms, bristle worms. And again, they create burrows and, and they're really great. For just, well, why can't we just oxygenate it ourselves and put like big, you know, loans, um, yeah, yeah, aerators, yeah. aerators underneath the water. Has that been done? That hasn't been done, but I mean, that is a, a more technological option. We're just thinking biologically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But I yeah. guess naturally, like the Sydney Harbour and a lot of waterways would actually have these burrowing critters um, in abundance anyway. And I guess we're Mate, trying try to put another shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're trying yeah. to m- mimic what would actually happen there naturally, but I guess we're trying to just speed it up with a little bit of colonisation. Exactly. So what happened, you know, around the 70s when we still had poor water quality, we lost a lot of these um, larger clams and larger worms and larger crustaceans, and they haven't come back naturally while the water's cleaned up. So we need to we need to bring them back to try and kickstart things. And the, the, they, did they die off because of poor water quality or dredging or...? A number of things. Yeah. Harvesting, poor water quality, yeah, dredging and land reclamation. We just changed the system quite substantially. But there's a reason we have places called, you know, Cockle Bay and... And mm. there's a lot of kind of shellfish, a shellfish history. Yeah. Yeah. There's a shellfish history and we don't yeah. have a lot of those living in the sediments anymore and, yeah. and especially not the bigger ones. They're all very small now. So. And so what are you finding? Are these sort of programs, like is it early days in the research, but is it? can you give us a sneaky peek of the uh, results so far? Is it working? It's, it's all been done in the lab so far okay. and we're starting to move into some field trials um, and certainly we're seeing some promising results in terms of organic matter remediation. So as soon as they... Ox- ox- <laughs> when they start to oxygenate the sediment, um, <laughs> then, you know, we get less of the, the nasty gas productions like um, the rotten egg hydrogen sulfide yeah. gas. Wow. It makes sense though, doesn't it? You and know, that's really, really cool. Go little buddies, go out there and fix it for us. And that's, that's yeah. really, really interesting. So you're working on that. What else are you working on? Because you, you said before you also teach at Macquarie Uni. 
Yeah, so I actually teach some environmental planning courses. So one of the big things that we do talk to students about is, is water sensitive urban design, um, integrated water management and, and, and green building. So we do a, a lot of emphasis on, on green ecology and green building. Mm. We actually were speaking with the, uh, the green, building ca- green Building yeah. Council. So me and Jeremy are, uh, are invited speakers. Jeremy and I, mate. Jeremy and I are invited speakers uh, at the Green Building and Council of Australia seminars, the Biodiversity Seminars in August and September in Melbourne and Sydney. Um, but yeah, so we're pretty excited about that. Yeah. I don't know why people <laughs> want to listen to us. I mean, so water sensitive urban design, uh, and this is probably sort of uh, something I've been doing for the last 15 years as well. It's like, it's, it's basically trying to get, essentially water sensitive urban design is essentially trying to get an urban environment to function like a natural environment. So in a natural environment, you have, uh, sure, you still have rainfall and you have um, water coming to the ground, but you have a lot of evapotranspiration. Uh, you don't get much way in, don't get much runoff in a natural environment. A lot of the water will actually soak into the soil, in the surrounding soil profile. And if it does make it way into the waterway, it's very clean because it goes through the ground. Uh, you only get run- runoff in a major uh, rainfall event, you know, something bigger than 50 millimetres. Well, how do you think, well, I'll, I'll ask you both. How do you think we've gone with water sensitive urban design over the past 15 years? I, I think we're getting better. Um, but it's still something that only really gets thought about with some of the newer developments. And so, mm. you know, unless we have a new development, it's not necessarily a target that people are aiming for. I mean, I'm quite impressed with the the Headland Park development at Barangaroo where they have the large stormwater retention devices. Um, uh, that's, uh, that, that was us. That was you. <laughs> well, well, so we've got our gross pollutant traps through there. Um, Warren Smith and Partners, actually, uh, Michael Carlane designed that, and he's got that massive retention tank, which yeah. I've actually been down in that when it was We'd getting like built. I'd like to see that. Oh, well, I can actually organise <laughs> that. Um, but no, that, uh, that, that was a really good example of, of some really good engineering, um, some good water-sensitive urban design, and they back it up and maintain their mm. systems always. Yeah, so that's the key element of water-sensitive urban design that I guess we focus on. When, it, when water discharges into the environment, sorry, into the environment from a natural environment, uh, like a forest, it's cl- fairly clean water, fairly low level, levels of pollution, but in an urban environment it's very different. You get high levels of pollution and much more frequent, frequent sort of runoff events. And that's when, I guess, our little devices come in is ideally uh, little devices (laughs) (laughs) these assets go into the ground and we're trying to intercept that stormwater and essentially clean it but like Jeremy indicated um, it's only new development though it's only new development I mean what about the existing catchment and that's something Brad and I have worked on and Ocean Protect now, what about the existing catchment area that's not treated? What about Brookvale? What about this industrial stuff that, that's everywhere? Mm. No one's going back in. I mean, retrofitting infrastructure is expensive, but I don't care. Look at Sydney Harbour. Mm. How much money do they make off this harbour every year? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, 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 well, I, I, I think the last estimate I saw that the Sydney Harbour is worth about $5 billion to the economy every year. Five billion. dollars. So it's, 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 it's worth. Uh, it's probably they're, they're probably figures from about eight years ago as well. So it's worth a hell of a lot of money uh, for the economy, but obviously culturally, aesthetically, ecologically, it has huge amount of values. But are we appropriately protecting it? So this is a question for you, Katie. Are we appropriately protecting the health uh, of Sydney Harbour? I think we're working towards it, but I think as you as you said, there is a lot more that we can mm. do, um, and I think it can be fairly targeted because we know a lot of information about what the impacts are and where they are happening. You know, I think it's also about okay, how to best communicate an appropriate strategy to the Sydney Harbour community, 
and catchment. So Parramatta River uh, Catchment River Trust have, have done a great job in setting a, a lofty goal of making. That's uh, not lofty. It's bloody brilliant. It's a good. Well, sorry, it's a lofty goal, but it's a, it's a good, brilliant goal of making the Parramatta River swimmable by 2025. Um, and we spoke to Joe. Tranto it's not the whole. Just to clarify, yeah, it's only yeah. five locations. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Not the whole Parramatta River. Yeah, but it's I, dead zones. I, yeah, totally. Yeah, but in terms of Sydney Harbour, I, I think it, it we need to have an appropriate target for Sydney Harbour that the community are keen to get on board with. And one of the things we've been speaking to a few different councils around Sydney Harbour is essentially what we call a zero litter to ocean target. We have one council that I believe is going to sign on to it, and I, I can't talk about it now, <laughs> but it's going to be a scoop. But we think, it, we think it's an appropriate target in that if we can essentially just reduce the amount of pollution, the litter pollution going into Sydney Harbour, anything bigger than five millimetres, so a gross balloon. Cigarette butts. Cigarette up. butts, plastic bottles, plastic uh, bags like you refer to before, if we can just stop that from flowing into Sydney Harbour, I think that'd be fantastic. Uh, how we do it? Yeah, for sure. There's stormwater treatment assets, but it's also Reduce. it looks at reducing uh, pollution at source. You know, education, getting people to litter less, uh, reverse uh, uh, vending machines in terms of uh, establishing a clean loop of recycling, which we spoke to the Tomra uh, uh, girls about. Um, it, but there's a whole bunch of j- essentially pieces to the jigsaw puzzle. But it's something that we think we can actually achieve, and I think it's an appropriate target for. Sydney Harbour, at the very least. Yeah, I mean, I, I think awareness of what the problem is, like you say, things happening below the waterline, making people aware, then bringing people together who can take action and, and make a difference. So you've got the councils on board, which is great. And then- Well, well hold on, council. council. <laughs> so we've only got one council, but as soon as we get that one council, uh, and it will be uh, Australia, it's going to be the first yep. council in Australia to, to, to go for it. So it'll be all over the media. Just to, just to clarify, cancel. Um, but also, you know, you look around at some of the really big problems we have, like climate change, where it's, it's very hard to, to do something about mm. it. We have stormwater, which is also a big problem, and we can actually do well, something it, effective and meaningful. And yeah, showing people that that's the case, I think, is important. I totally agree. I think there's a lot of big environmental problems, and some of them are, are big and scary and often feel out of reach. But ocean and waterway pollution, something we can actually solve. Climate change is, is does involve transition and a transition of energy systems, uh, transforming, you know, basically shutting down coal-powered stations, replacing them with renewable energy, et cetera, reducing our energy demand. There's a whole bunch of aspects which often are out of the reach to the everyday individual. But marine and waterway pollution, we all have a role, and the solutions and technologies are ready to roll right now. It just needs a bit of mojo. A bit, it needs a little bit more of, uh, of community awareness and understanding and obviously resources. But I guess that's where I guess you come in in terms of you actually are, are essentially shining a light or getting a magnifying glass of, uh, or at least providing a sort of a insight into what's actually happening under Sydney 60 Harbour. pieces of plastic and half a cup of cinnamon. Yeah, that is that scary. That blows my mind. And, and that's the thing. It's about creating awareness around issues. And, and what you're doing is sort of, I guess, highlighting those issues and getting a better understanding of those issues. But I guess the next step, I guess, for you, for, that I'd ask you is that what are you going to do with this information? How are you going to communicate this to the public and drive change? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, one of the big things that we do is is work with local councils. So we, we tend to take action through providing recommendations to the councils. But the Sydney Institute of Marine Sciences is, is really focused on outreach as well. So a lot of us go out to different events and, and talk about our research and try and communicate some of the solutions that we're coming up with and, and how they might be applied uh, in different situations. Wow. Question, another question. So we've got a tidal influence, so it washes all our pollution out. Where does it go from there, Katie? That's it. So it, it's still out there. It's just in a more dilute dilute form. Mm. Yeah. And if you go what, about 100k offshore, it drops down, doesn't it? Yeah. So generally, if, if you have a big water body, then it's extremely dilute. And um, eventually, some of these metals that are a problem when they're in high concentrations become an essential element for some of the marine life that's out there. Sure. The dilution yeah, can help to a certain extent, yeah, yeah. but but, but what it's about not plastic? I mean, pla- yeah, pla- I mean, as we know, uh, as soon as it goes out the harbour, then you get a big storm event that can wash back up on the beach. Exactly. Yeah. So the the plastics don't dilute in the same no. way that a, another kind of pollution um, can do, and then they can bioaccumulate up the food chain as well, which is a big mm. issue. So that's the thing, though. Like, is is, is, is feeling that oh, it just flushes out of Sydney Harbour and then it's all good from there. Yeah. But, and, and when it comes to nutrients and heavy metals, yeah, like I think in some regards that's partially accurate. But when it comes to plastic and other sort of contaminants that basically stay in the environment uh, for a long time and certainly are not an essential nutrient, that's when we go, we need to do something about that. And so we did some calculations, uh, uh, I think last year, wasn't it, Jeremy, yep. where we estimated that roughly from the Sydney Harbour catchment alone, we think there's probably 15 Olympic-sized pools of, of plastic going to Sydney Harbour every year. And just from one recent rainfall event uh, in, this, in the catchment, we estimated just from one rainfall event, it washed about a, a, a one a full Olympic-sized pool of, of plastic into the harbour. And it's one of them to say, oh, yeah, but that'll stay in the harbour for a while and some of it might flow out and be flushed out, but it's flushing into our ocean. And that's when it causes all sorts of impacts as well. That's very profound, Brad. I have my moments, Jeremy. You do. You <laughs> no, no, but, but it just, you know, it, it just shocks me that, that more and more people don't know about this. I mean, it, Sims has been going around for 20 years, you know. Uh, we've been polluting the waterways for longer than that. And, you know, it, it, why are we only, and we're not even doing a good job, but why, why are we not putting more attention to this? Katie, can I throw that at you? What, what If this was... Uh, you know, the the Aussie cricket team, they were in trouble. <laughs> bloody ScoMo would be there bloody helping them out. But, you know, why, why do you think we don't ha- attract attention or, or or attract enough funding to fix this problem at the moment? What, do you, what are your thoughts around that? Um, I guess maybe just going back to visibility and awareness. And mm. if it doesn't impact on people directly, they tend to not worry about it so much. And, and people looking out of the harbour on a day like today would would wonder why you're even concerned about stormwater mm, when you yeah. have a, a beautiful blue 
water way um, and don't necessarily appreciate that that's hiding hiding the issues underneath. Do you, do you think those issues that lie underneath the surface of Sydney Harbour, are they a public health issue? Is, is stormwater pollution in Sydney Harbour a public health issue? Yeah, I mean, getting back to the, the sewage overflows, it, when you do have those really heavy periods of rainfall and you get sewage overflow events, then there, there can be some pretty nasty pathogens introduced in the stormwater and, and that can be a human health risk. Certainly the, the beach watch guidelines of not swimming for a couple of days after rainfall, uh, we've, we've got research that shows that it can be up to 10 days after rainfall where you might get a bloom of some, some nasty bacteria that, that could pose problems for people who want to go swimming. It's after 10 days 10 of days rainfall, well. so it's a, for, through a combination of sewer overflows and I guess the natural, uh, sorry, the, and stormwater and nutrient loads, you're saying after 10 days of no rainfall, you can actually have a bloom of bacteria. Yeah, because what often happens in some of those um, embayments that are really poorly flushed generally, the initial rainfall event will completely scour them. And then after that, the deposition of some of the contaminants, the organic matter, that starts the bloom of bacteria and the bloom of algae. And then it takes a couple of days for that to really get going. So yeah, up to up to eight to 10 days, we've seen some pretty nasty bacteria and pathogens in the water column. Wow. Wow. And what about so pathogens? What about plastics? So obviously when plastics enter the, the, the waterways and, and Sydney Harbour included, a lot of people, not me, uh, are, are consuming fish. Is that... Brad's a vegan. <laughs> and we, I, I, we, like, we just have to talk about this. We don't, I, but you, all, you well, love bringing it up. Well, you, you don't eat fish. You're all high and mighty. Do you eat fish and meat and are you a vegetarian? Um, I try to be vegetarian. Okay. So you occasionally have a steak? Yes. Yeah. No, we Is just, that a good thing? So mur- murdering animals. Uh, Here we go again. I went vegan for four days with Brad. I, it was not too bad. I Jeremy told me. Jeremy told me he's never felt better. I didn't. Dr- I didn't drink for four <laughs> days either. So that's why. <laughs> anyway, back to this. But yeah, getting back to so like. Whilst I don't, a lot of people do consume uh, fish uh, and other sort of um, products coming out of now marine environment. And you were saying how you're finding microplastics in the in the in the stomachs of fish. Is is that plastic pollution in our marine environment contributing to a, a human health problem? Not really sure about that one. Well, I am. Of course, <laughs> of course, it bloody is. <laughs> what do you think about it? If, I mean, you're finding plastic in fish. People are consuming fish. Yeah. Well, I don't have to be a yeah. scientist. To and and that they, they are I mean, finding plastic in the in us, basically. I think was it was a the, the stat recently. A cr- we credit card of plastic every week is what we're ingesting. What? Yeah. It's just hard to connect that to yeah. an actual health outcome. I guess that's what, what I would. Think. What? So because we don't know if pla- what plastic does to us here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know, but I mean, come on, <laughs> right? Let's. But hang on. Obviously, we, we look at it from a layman's perspective. And we go, yeah, there seems to be a very strong link to public health. Obviously, uh, uh, people. No offences, but academics, you, you, you want to deal with facts. Would you be classed as an academic? Are you an academic? Is that, Certainly is a researcher that? in it. Uh, you're a senior lecturer at the University, university of... University, yeah. yeah. Academic. Like we hide in libraries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy wants to be called an academic, so maybe there's an honorary uh, <laughs> <laughs> diploma for Jeremy in marine science or something. <laughs> you go yeah, around whatever. with a little hat and gown. And <laughs> oh, well that, I mean, that, that does lead me to a question. How, how can we help you? You know, what, 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 do, what are you guys lacking that, that we can do to help? Because we want it. I mean, what do you need? Do you need manpower? Do you need um, 
you know, I don't know. Do you need resources? Do you want to know about the what what were the data that we're collecting from our stormwater um, devices? Do you literally everything you just said okay. is completely useful to academics? You okay, know, we already benefit from funding from the government, funding from private industry, um, <coughs> and in-kind support. Like you say, when there's good data sets that we can interrogate and ask questions of, we're looking for evidence-based. Mm. Well, we ideas. have we've probably got the best data set from maintenance of our stormwater devices. So we're analysing what's in it. Yeah. Um, and this is probably why we're this is probably why we're so passionate about what we do. Like we see what's in our stormwater treatment assets. We literally lift the lid and look down and the pollution literally has to be seen to be believed it's the most rancid of sediment and full of pollution and then just stacks of plastic and we so we why we're passionate about this is because we go well if our assets aren't there and aren't getting appropriately maintained this stuff just flows straight into our waterways and that's where i think we, we started this conversation initially about collaboration you know there's all these individual people um doing really cool stuff like beach cleanups and and uh, uh research and then there's sort of guys like us putting in our assets uh, and trying to maintain them as well and and also collectively there's a few different groups trying to do advocacy and raising awareness around this issue but I think if we work together we can we can achieve so much more so yeah so how do we how do we make this happen what do you need I think it's already great that you, you guys got in touch and you, you set up this meeting today to have a chat today. So yeah, yeah, I've, okay. I've learned so much about what you're passionate about and what kinds of things you, you know about and what mm. you can do. So Yeah, well, look, we just all think stormwater. Yeah. Uh, and um, <laughs> we've got a bunch of great people at work. Um, we've got a great research and development team that are doing some really, really cool stuff. So maybe you should come down and have a coffee and see. I mean, our, I'm, I feel quite inadequate, our lab, compared to yours. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it would actually be a, a great thing for our environmental planning students to do, yeah. potentially. Yeah, yeah, um, cool. So we're, I mean, See it all in action. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we've got a small, like, yeah, I don't even want to bring you to my lab. It's, yeah, it's, it's in Rome. Um, but no, we've got a great lab. Um, we've got um, some great research projects that we're doing at the moment. Uh, but we've also got, um, we actually make our own media. So we're, we're using perlite and some secret herbs and recipes that I can tell you off um, this. Um, but we're always looking for new medias or, or new ways to, to create media um, to filter out stormwater more effectively. So by sharing ideas and, and collaborating would be, you know, would be bloody good. Yeah, particularly if, if, if the research is indicating to us, it's like from your research is showing like the, a key pollutant that we really need to be um, targeting is heavy metals. Um, like our, our products have traditionally focused on the pollutants that we have targets for that are set by government. But if you're saying, hey, heavy metals is a key issue, we can just essentially just double check that our assets are actually achieving higher heavy metal uh, removal of rates. And if need be, we try and boost it up. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. I just saw two b- birds shagging. It's <laughs> 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 like, what are the, oh. <laughs> We actually have some really aggressive kookaburras around here as well. Oh, really? You don't want to eat your sandwich yeah. out here because they'll take it oh, will they? out of yeah. your mouth. I remember, I, I remember being on Noosa Beach and my little cousin who was 10 at the time had a a hamburger in his hand and a kookaburra literally sweeped out <laughs> and out of the tree and grabbed his hamburger. Yeah. It was amazing. That's a lesson for you. Don't eat hamburgers. Don't eat hamburgers. <laughs> there you go. Hey, well, thank you so much for coming on our, our little show. Um, it's been, you know, just amazing to hear what the work that you do and, and all the other people here. I mean, for, for, the, for the listeners, this is a really, really big setup they've got here. Um, there's laboratories. They've even got boats. They've got their own wharf. Actually, that's one thing. Next time you go out in the boat, 
I will come and give you a hand if you want me to hold anything. <laughs> no, you know. Like, get get uh, him to scrub the toilets. <laughs> do you have a toilet on your boat? <laughs> no, that's great. We, we do take volunteers out with oh, us. Oh, great. Sign me up. So, definitely. No, yeah. I'll, and, you know. and, and look, I guess I guess if, if, if people are interested in the research that you guys do, and, and obviously you personally, how would people get in touch with you? Uh, so I have a Twitter profile. I Twitter? also have a website address. Well, okay, well, what is it? You've got to say what the website address is. Oh, um, yeah. Twitter, it's <laughs> at Dr. K. Daffhorn. A little bit boring. Yeah. <laughs> I've also got at Healthy Harbors. That's my other Twitter handle. Okay. Um, and then the website is just my name, katherinedaffhorn.com. Wow. There you go, guys. And we'll include that as a link to the in our show notes. Cool, Brad. Um, it's just another enlightening show. It's ah. just, I feel so privileged oh. to be able to do this. We, we have, we, I reckon we, we've pulled off the biggest scam of all time. We get to go around and talk to really cool and interesting people. Uh, and it's so much fun. And obviously, you know, you're a star, Katie, let's face it. And I think the research you're doing in terms of uh, creating uh, awareness and better understanding of, the, of, the, of Sydney Harbour in particular and other waterways and the key impacts and potential solutions, it's fantastic. The more, whatever we can do to assist in that regard in terms of talking talking about it on a podcast or potentially trying to um, uh, outline some of our ideas and solutions, fantastic. But uh, like from the bottom of my heart, it's been great meeting you and thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Lovely to meet you guys too. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.